This morning, we're in a series, and we've been in it for several weeks, um, on the Holy Spirit. And we're calling it Come Holy Spirit. And what we're doing is we're just looking at what Scripture teaches about the Holy Spirit. We've, we've said this over and over and over through this series. Most of us really don't know the Holy Spirit. There, there are some that, that do, but most of us really don't know Him. We don't really understand Him. We, we, we've, we've been taught really good about God the Father. We've been taught really, really good about God the Son. But God the Holy Spirit's kind of had to take a back seat or He's had to stay in the street. And the Holy Spirit is literally, when Jesus was about to go, He said, you know what, I'm not going to leave you alone. I've worked too hard to get you to this place. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. So I'm going to give you another one who is like me. One who's just like me is literally what the word means. And, and Scripture calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus poured out His Spirit on us. He placed Him. If you're a believer this morning, He has placed Him in you. He lives in your spirit. And, and so we ought to know Him. He's the one who empowers us to live the, the, the normal Christian life, to do what Jesus has commanded us to do. Folks, we can't do what He's commanded us to do on our own. We don't have the ability. None of us. I don't care how good you are or how bad you are. You, you don't have the ability to do what, what Jesus has asked us to do. He knew that. That's why he put himself in us so that we could carry out and do and accomplish what he, he gave us to do. He gave us a, a mission, folks, to, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. That is impossible apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. He has told us as husbands to love our wives as we love ourselves. That's impossible in our flesh, okay? Because we really, really love ourselves. Okay, amen, all the men said? That's pretty weak, okay? I could have asked the women and it, the, the rafters would have run, okay? Because they know it. I also know that he's, he's he, ladies, he's called you to respect your husband and to, and to encourage him. But you can't do that. Just because you want to, you have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. He's given us everything we need to live this life victorious and to accomplish everything He wants done, but it has to be done through the Holy Spirit. And the sad thing is, most of us don't really understand Him. You know, He's the, he's the forgotten third part of the Trinity. And so what we've been doing over the past few weeks, and, and we've got a few more weeks, not many, but a few more weeks, we've just been trying to see who the Holy Spirit is and what He does. And we've talked about several things. Today, I want to talk about unity, okay? Because the Holy Spirit is God's unifier, all right? He, he is the one who makes us one. And without Him, we're not one. Unity is a central theme of God 
in his ultimate plan for the ages. He, he is working to unify everything. Unity is a tool that he intends to, to use, and he intends to use it for this reason, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. In order that the manifest wisdom of God might be made known through the church. Okay, He wants someone to see his wisdom in, in using a group of individuals like us. Okay? Now just think about yourself. For a moment. Be real. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But how often do you get things right? You know, if you were a baseball player and you can hit three out of ten times at bat, you'll stay in the major leagues. But honestly, folks, 30% is not really, you know, when you're trying to get things right. All of us mess up. And yet God has chosen to, to use us as examples to someone and to a group specifically. He says, in order that the manifest wisdom of God, that God's plan, the greatness and the depth of His plan might be made known through the church, listen to this, to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. I'm, I'm going to translate this Construction-wise, okay? God's going to take the church as flawed and as messed up as we are, and He's going to rub the devil and His angels' nose in it forever. He's going to show them how wise and how great and how unbelievable His plan is, and He's going to do it with the, the least likely group us or the least likely person me and you and he's going to do that because he wants them to understand how great and how glorious he is you see satan stood and said you know what i will be like god in fact i'll be god and he led a third of the angels in rebellion. And folks, they have been in rebellion since then. And God created a place. If you'll read Scripture very clearly. Someone asked me if I was going to preach hell and, and, and brimstone, hell, fire and brimstone this morning. And we laughed about it. But I am for a moment. He created a place of hell, fire and brimstone. And he created it for the devil and his angels. That's what Jesus said. He did not create it for people. But listen, there will be people who will be there because they have chosen to ignore God and to do it their own way. And God's wisdom was that He would provide His Son, Jesus. And in weakness, He would become a man. And in that weakness, He would die on the cross and He would pay for the sins of the world. And there was nothing the enemy could do about it. And folks, Jesus wants that message to go forth. And, and God wants us to be united as one in that purpose and in that plan. And in God's great wisdom, one day will become evident. Nobody will deny it. Scripture says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because they recognize it. 
They may not like it, but they recognize there will be unity. Jesus prayed for unity. On the night before he's crucified, as he intercedes for his followers, and by the way, those of us who would believe in the future, he prayed for you. I don't know if you realize that or not, but Jesus prayed for you that night. And he said in, in John chapter 17, 21, he says that they may all be one. That they may all be one. The desire of Christ was for us to be of one mind, one heart, one purpose, just as he is with his Father. Unity is essential, folks. But it's the exception in most churches. Listen, it's not automatic. Okay? I don't raise your hand because it ought to embarrass us. But how many of you have seen disunity in the church? Probably 100% of us. It ought, to, it ought to hurt our heart because it hurts God's heart. The destruct, But there is something in the church that, that's similar to... Well, it's not similar to unity. It masquerades itself as unity. And it's called uniformity. What happens is is different groups want everybody to be like they are. Okay? That's why we have, and listen, I've got no rocks to throw, no no axe to grind, but that's why we have denominations. Because we want to be this way. We want to take this doctrine, and that's going to be our doctrine. And what happens is we, 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 we push to be alike. We want everybody in our group to be this way, to be cookie cutter. But you know what? God doesn't use cookie cutters. Cookie cutters and uniformity have spun out a multitude of denominations and a whole bunch of schisms and isms, okay? Something Bad has happened with that plan for unity. And listen, it's not about God's plan. See, there's no problem with God's plan. It's perfect. Unity means oneness. All right? It doesn't mean uniformity. Uniformity means we all look alike. We all like the like. Okay? I don't see anybody looks like me. I don't see anybody wants to look like me. Okay? <laughs> Amen. But I can come from this side. I don't see anybody out there I want to look like either, okay? So so uniformity is a good thing. God created us not to be uniform, but he created us to be united. We're to have one purpose. We're to have one goal in Christ. But we don't have to be alike, okay? None of you have had all the experiences I've had, and none of I haven't had all the experiences you've had. It's been a personal thing. We're all different. Our problem today is, is that we don't understand that one of the main purposes of the Holy Spirit is unity. Unity, uh, it means, like I said, it means oneness. Jesus declared over and over that He and the Father were one. Well, what did He mean by that? Well, he meant that, that they, were of, they were unified in purpose. They were unified in heart. They were unified in mind. Everything Jesus did, he says he saw the Father doing or he heard the Father tell him to do. Not once did he go, mm, I don't know if I want to do that today. I think I'll do my own thing. Never. Never once. And so our problem is we don't understand 
what the main purpose of the, one of the, his main purposes, the Holy Spirit's main purpose is. We don't understand because we don't know very much about him. And therefore, folks, in reality, if we don't know much about someone, we don't really know them. Okay? Now, I, I don't have an issue with this, but I, but I, but I want to give you an illustration. I know most people are on Facebook. But listen, you can't have two and a half million friends. I was, I was watching yesterday, and, and I saw one of the Olympic swimmers. He's got two and a half million followers. They would be his friends, okay? We don't have that many friends. My father told me one time, he said, son, if you have one or two genuine friends, you have been successful as a man, okay? God wants to be our friend, but we have to know him. The reality is you can't know two and a half million people. You can't know 25 people. Not really know them. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know them. And if we don't know the person who unifies us with one another and who unifies us with God, how can we be anything else but selfish or self-serving or intent on getting what I, me, and my want? And, And that's what you see most Sundays in most churches. It's not the unity of the Spirit. It's selfishness. Folks, the church has missed or they've relegated the Holy Spirit to the back seat or to the street. And what's happened is the one person who God intended to bring unity is absent. I hope you understand that unity is a miraculous thing. It doesn't just happen. Just think about it. How can men and women of different ages, of different ethnic origins, of different economic levels, of different educational levels, who have different needs and different wants and different desires, be unified into one body called the church? That's a miracle. Hey, you, you can put three or four of us together, or you can just put two of us together, and you'll get three or four opinions. Amen? If, if we throw the subject of politics out there, we can argue from now on. Amen? Listen, God poured out His Spirit to create a community that was unified, that was one. And that is his plan. And ultimately, when he sums up the ages, the body of Christ will be one. Okay? We're not quite there yet, right? I mean, we've, we've got folks, and, and there may be some in here that are convinced that when we get to heaven, there'll be a section for this group and this group and this group and this group. Let me just tell you, Jesus tore down the barriers, the curtains, the partitions, those little orange ribbons that they put down to separate you. There, there won't be any, any special seating, okay? There'll just be one body. And that body will function as one. It will work like it's supposed to. Okay? It will work like it's supposed to. How can we achieve unity? Well, we can't. 
Okay, honestly, we can't do it. But the Holy Spirit can. Unity is one of his, his very chief works that he does. One of the foremost promises in Scripture is found uh, in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. Joel writes this, and, it sa- and he says, And it will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions, and even on the male and the female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. God makes a promise that he's about to create a community unlike any other that's ever existed. The Holy Spirit won't just be on the prophet He won't just be on the king. He won't be on just this person for a short time. No, the Holy Spirit will fall on men and women and young and old and slave and free. And otherwise, He will fall on all of them. There won't be any any difference. He won't just be on the rich. He'll be on the poor. He won't just be on the the, the white or or the black. He'll be on all ethnicities, okay? He won't be on just the, the ones that are well-educated and understand their Bible. No, he'll be on the, everyone else. And that's what he says in that passage. And there'll be, there, there'll be no distinction. That's what Joel tells us there. There's not going to be any distinction on the gender of the person he comes on. There won't be any distinction on the age or, or the class or the race. All will receive that outpouring and it will unify this collection of people into a community. We hear a lot about community, okay? Community, community, community. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfills this prophecy. In fact, Peter says that it's, 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 it's fulfilled. That This new community, and by the way, community means with unity. With unity. Peter tells us that this community is the church. And we get a picture of it. And it's totally different than what anyone had ever seen. And folks, it's pretty much different than what we understand. Okay, I want to show you what he says here in Acts chapter 2, verse 44 through 47. And he says, all those who had believed were together. They were all together. I mean, they they weren't off in little different places. They were together. You see how amazing that is? Here are people that that didn't care for each other. They were from different socioeconomic classes. They were were different uh, uh, sects in Judaism. And, And God had wiped all that stuff out. And all of a sudden they were here together. And all of those who believed were together. And they had all things in common. That's not communism. It just means that they were sharing what they had. And everything, everybody was level at the foot of the cross. Okay? They understood that, that no, I'm not any better than you and you're not any better than me, that we're all one in Jesus Christ. And so here, all those who had believed were together and they had all things in common. They began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing with all as anyone might have need. Now that right there is a, is a stunning statement. Instead of thinking about me, I saw your need and I had means to meet your need. And so I sacrificed to do that. That's what it's saying. It's not saying that 
John had 5,062 acres and he decided he'd cash in one acre to help Mary. That's not what he's teaching. It's, it, what he's teaching is they saw the needs and they realized that meeting that brother or that sister's need was more important than having something they could hold on to. And so they sold their property. They sold different things. And it's not just property, it's possessions. Guy had a coat and he sold it. And an ox, he sold it. Then it says, and they were sharing with all, as anyone might have need. And day by day, they were continuing with one mind in the temple, and they were breaking bread from house to house. They were worshiping there at the temple. They were gathering together with one mind. One mind. They were unified. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God. And they had favor with everybody. That says they had favor with all people. That's everybody. People who didn't even agree with what they believed were astounded because they were unified. And they were caring for one another. And they were demonstrating the love of Jesus. And listen to what it says. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. The unity produced by the Holy Spirit fashioned a genuine community. A real community where there was only one mindset. And that was what would Jesus do in this situation? How can I act like Jesus? Scripture also calls this unity fellowship. Paul blessed the Corinthian church. Most of you uh, know enough about Scripture to understand that, that the Corinthian church was messed up. They had some problems. Okay? Just to put it lightly, they had some problems. They had some sin problems. Okay? They had some, some division problems, which is sin. But they, they also had some issues that, that we, don't, we don't often think about. They were... Uh, some of them were arriving early when they were going to have the Lord's Supper, which they did at every time they worshipped. And they would get there early and they'd eat all the bread and drink all the wine. And guess what? When the people that had nothing got there, there was nothing for them to eat or drink. And Paul writes that letter to, to correct those different things. But in near the end of it, he blesses this church. Okay? And he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The significance of that blessing is, is that Paul attributes unity, fellowship, to the Holy Spirit. He doesn't attribute it to the Father or to the Son in that particular instance. He attributes it to the Holy Spirit. He does the same thing when he writes in the, to the Philippian church. And the Philippian church had some problems. Listen to me. They had problems in the church from day one. This is not new, okay? They had problems. They dealt with it. They, they, they addressed it. But he writes this to the Philippian church. He says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compassion, make my joy 
complete by being of the same mind, maintain the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. In other words, be united. And then he, he gives us, and I didn't put this on the screen, I didn't put this in the verse, but then he gives us the example of Jesus, who although he was God, did not feel like he had to hold on to that stuff. He was willing to set it aside. He was willing to become flesh. In other words, he was not willing to hold on to anything to accomplish what God had called him to do. He was willing to unify himself completely with the purpose of God. Unity has been a problem, like I mentioned just a moment ago, from day one in the church. The early church dealt with members who, the first thing we see is they lied about their tithe. They said they'd given all of it, when in reality they'd only given a little of it. Now, before they made this big statement in the middle of the congregation that, hey, we sold this land, we're giving all of it, it was theirs to do with what they wanted to do. Okay, they didn't have to give all of it. But instead of, of saying, hey, we kept some and we're giving some, they said, hey, we've given everything to the church. Look how spiritual we are. Well, you know what happens? God was so impressed, he struck Ananias dead right on the spot. Okay? Which means he really wasn't impressed. Hour or so later, his wife shows up, and she's, she's got the same party line, and she quotes it out, and guess what happens? Strike two. It doesn't tell us there was a strike three. You know why? Because there was an awe that fell over the church. They were awed that God is holy. Okay? And there was a unity was there. You, you, you look as you, as you study the letters and as you study the book of Acts, there were, there were members of, of, that were saved and, and they were born again, but they wanted to bring in the work stuff from Judaism. They wanted to make all the Gentiles have to do what they'd had to do. And so there was a problem. There was disunity from time to time. You, you, you read on and, and you find that, that, that you know, there, were, there were some in the churches who, who believed that their gifts were superior to everybody else's gifts. Paul had to deal with those things. Peter had to deal with those things. That's why we have the epistles, okay, the letters, because they were dealing with problems. There were, there were constantly forces at work to destroy the unity of the body. And listen, it has not changed. There are constantly forces on the outside that want to get on the inside so that they can destroy the unity of the body. And folks, what happens is we open the door for the force that's on the outside to get on the inside. And when he gets on the inside, he stirs things up. That was not God's plan. That was not God's purpose. That's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Although the the presence of the Holy Spirit and the, and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit creates an atmosphere for unity. We have to work to maintain it. It's our responsibility to guard it. It's our responsibility to walk in it. It's our responsibility not to give the devil place so that he can work through us. Folks, I have seen countless churches destroyed. I've heard horror stories, and you have too, because one person got sideways. 
They got their feelings hurt. Or they thought it wasn't going like they were, it was supposed to go. And they made themselves God and judge and jury, and they create a wrecked havoc. Poison is like, can- I mean, disunity is like cancer. Starts out with a cell, and it grows until it destroys the body. That's what disunity does. We have a tremendous responsibility to walk in it and to make unity the chief characteristic that proves that we are the sons and the daughters of God. Listen, it's not the miracles that prove we're the sons and the daughters of God. It's unity and it's love. Those are probably the two things that prove we are the son or daughters of God more than anything else in the world. Unity doesn't simply happen. It has to be maintained. It has to be guarded. It has to be treasured. And Paul kind of gives us an insight on how to do that. And I want you to listen closely to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, as he writes this, he's probably chained up in in a prison in Rome. He's chained to a soldier. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you have been called. And listen to to the characteristics he calls us. These are not typically the things as Americans we think about. Okay? He says, "I I want you to walk in your calling, worthy of your calling which you've been called. And I want you to walk with all humility and gentleness Patience, showing forbearance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve. And that word there, being diligent to preserve, means to make every effort to guard what has been given to us through the Holy Spirit. I want you to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Folks, God calls us to walk in characteristics like humility. There's no place in the church for arrogance. Okay? No place. There, there's, there's, no, there's no room for an arrogant person because when you become arrogant and your heart is lifted up, you stand in the same place that Satan stood when he rebelled against God. There's no, there's no room for God and, okay? It's God. And so we're called to walk in, in humility and in gentleness. Man, gentleness is tough. Amen? Any of you, this, this weather makes me anything but gentle. Katie has a term for it, okay? She calls it hot and bothered. She says, you're all hot and bothered, aren't you? I get hot, I get short. I I lose that gentleness. That's not an excuse. We're to be patient. Any of you struggle with patience? I tell this story, I'm, I'm not embarrassed by it anymore, but... I had an old Briggs and Stratton push lawnmower years ago. I hate pulling that rope more than once or twice. Okay, I just want to be honest with you. I pulled and I pulled and I pulled till I gave out of gas. 
So then I start, grabbed hold of the handles and I started to go around and around until I got the lawnmower off the ground. I got it up about waist high, I let it go. And when it hit the tree, I attacked it savagely with a hammer. I wasn't patient. Okay? Now, you may not have ever abused a lawnmower. But you've probably been impatient. You've been impatient with your children, with your spouse, with, with a brother or sister. Showing forbearance for one another. I'm not even going to go there. Those are the very opposite of the things we tend to go to. And folks, without those characteristics, it's hard for us to maintain unity. It's hard to, to, to guard what the Holy Spirit has produced. Unity is a gift that we have to guard. And what I'm talking about is not uniformity, okay? I'm going to go back to the uniformity thing because we don't have to all look alike. We don't all have to act alike, and we don't all have to think alike. God perish that thought from this earth, okay? God created us different. He gave you fingerprints that are unlike anybody else's. Reckon why? There are a whole bunch of other things he gave you that are different from anybody else in the world. Nobody else has it. I don't even care if you're a twin. You don't have the same things. Why? Because he likes difference. He, he, he likes that. That, 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 that. that gives him joy. And he, he, he finds joy when we act who we are. Who he has made us to be. Yes, there are things in us he needs to change. Okay? Amen? Let's just, let's just be honest. Uh, you know... I, I'm not talking about that. But there are differences in you that he celebrates and differences in me that he celebrates. And he loves it when we live out those differences. When we bring those differences to the table. It's, it's the richness of our makeups and, and, our, and, our, and our talents. The Holy Spirit creates unity. Listen, he creates unity by taking those differences and blending them smoothly into one body. Now, I've not made very many cakes, okay? But I have used a blender, all right? When I was a little boy, my mother would let us help her. And now, i got to confess to you, I could care less about doing the stuff that, that you do to make a cake. I just wanted the blender, uh, what do you call them? Beaters. The beaters. Because if you were really careful, you could get those things packed, with icing or whatever the cake dough was, okay? If you if if you if you let Mama come over, she'd scrape them down before she finished. But but I learned something that about it. It's it's the Holy Spirit is similar, and the unity of the church is similar to to making a cake with a mixer. That mixer is designed to blend ingredients into one mix, okay? But even though they become one mix, they don't lose their individual flavors. Every part of that mix is important. The eggs and the flour and the butter and the, and the uh, uh, vanilla extract and the sugar, all those things, they have different flavors. And when they're blended together, it, it's a masterpiece, okay? I mean, I've eaten some cakes. My goodness, they were masterpieces. But for this to happen... 
you need a very specific element. Just that blender with those blades is not enough, okay? You can pour ingredients into those blades, and all they'll do is spin stuff out. You know the most important ingredient, or the most important part of the blender? It's the bowl. The bowl captures the ingredients and keeps them from being, you know, being slung out. We live in a world that wants to sling us out, okay? It's trying to blend us, but it's not trying to blend us together. It's trying to throw us apart. And what happens is the Holy Spirit becomes that bowl. And He captures all of those ingredients on the walls. And you rake those down, and what happens is you have a masterpiece. You have a unity. That's what a cake is when it's fully blended. It's a unity of a lot of different ingredients that when baked and put together is delicious. And folks, that's what the church is supposed to be. The, the Holy Spirit takes our individualism and he, he takes our differences and He takes our gifts and our talents and all the other stuff we come with and He holds them together until we are unified through that blending. There is an example in Scripture that's, that's really clear about this blending. and It's probably nowhere clearer in Scripture than when Paul begins to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. And we're going to talk about those in a few weeks. But no one has all the gifts. Okay? Nobody. Only Jesus had the gifts. All the gifts. But we all have differing gifts and different levels of those gifts. Because we're all dependent on each other for the success of our local church. This church doesn't just need this gift and this gift. This church needs all the gifts. I happen to believe that all the gifts are still in existence. And they're in existence because, you know what? Christ hasn't returned yet. I'll be honest with you. There's not a lot of difference today than in the first century. Okay? Not a lot of difference in the cultures and in the beliefs and in in the desires of men and women. And so we need all the gifts. Not just the ones we like or the ones we understand. We need all of them. I love what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. That drink of that Spirit unifies us together. No matter where I go in the world, when I meet another believer, I am unified with that believer. Whether it's in Mexico or Africa or the Far East or the Middle East, no matter where it is, we are unified. We are brothers and sisters. Why? Because of the unifying power of the Holy Spirit. He unifies us. There's not thousands of churches. There's one church. One body. Okay? We're a local expression of that one body, but we are only an expression. We can't survive on our own. We're not a little island in the ocean. We need our brothers and sisters and the, and the varieties and the differences that they bring to enhance who we are. We need them to, to, for their gifts. But Lord, listen to me. We need the gifts that are here. Every one of them. At the height of of this argument, Paul uses the unity of the body. And he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, in 1 Corinthians 12, 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. 
Or again, the head to the feet. I have no need of you. Listen, I, most of you know I had some surgery on my hand. I need my right hand. I didn't realize how much I needed my right hand. I can't tell you all the ways I needed my right hand, but I couldn't write, okay? I couldn't sign anything. I couldn't reach places that itched, okay? I couldn't dry my back with a towel. I, I couldn't wash my hair but with one hand, and I never felt like it got... There are just hundreds of ways. I need this hand, okay? Just like I found out how much I needed this hand, we need each other. Every one of us need each other. We can't do without each other. So why has God done it that way? I love that. Here's the answer. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 25. He says, there should be no division in the body that the members should have the same care for one another. That there should be no division in the body but the members should have the same care for one another. Listen, God has made the church, the survival of the church, dependent on two things. Okay? Dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, dependent on His presence, and our dependence on one another. I want you to listen to a statistic I found. There are between eight and 10,000 churches, that's local bodies of believers, just like us, that close every year. You know why they close? Oh, well, the community changed. Uh, you know, the members died out. No, they closed because they were not unified. They didn't have the same purpose as God had. They die. I know people say, well, you know, churches have lifespans. And maybe they do, and maybe they don't. But we could sure extend some lifespans if we were just unified. If we had one purpose and we had one plan. Folks, if we're not unified, if we refuse to become one, we will cease to exist. I want you to hear me. If we're not one, if we're not unified, and I don't mean if you're not unified with what I say, or unified with what this person, if we're not unified with God, and we're not unified with one another, if we don't really love each other, and care about each other, we won't survive. Okay? The Holy Spirit is the bowl that keeps the necessary ingredients contained under those blender blades. You know what? The situations we face out there are God's way of beating us into one. Do you realize that? But what happens is we get under attack, and you know what we do? We build a fence around ourselves, and we don't want anybody to know it. We don't want anybody to understand what's going on. And I realize there's a place for privacy, okay? There is. I don't have to know everything that's going on at your house. And you don't need to know everything that goes on at mine. But you know what? What I'm going through, I'm being beat by the world's blender so that, so that God can get me to the place that I'll blend in with my brothers and sisters so that the Holy Spirit can use us. He's doing the same thing in your life. You're not just going through what you're going through just to go through it. Okay? There's a reason. Yes, the enemy wants to destroy you. But you know what? God's bigger than the enemy. The enemy is a dog on a chain. He's got limits where he can go. He's not unlimited. He's not all-powerful. 
God has a bigger plan. Okay? One of the key factors in determining the health of any church is unity. I want you to listen to me. If the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is present and evident in that church, there will be unity. If the people genuinely love one another, there will be unity. You can't have disunity and have the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you can't have the Holy Spirit and not have unity, okay? They go hand in hand. If if there's no unity, there's not going to be any power. Okay? Unity and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand because the Holy Spirit is God's unifier. He's what makes us one. So if we take time to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what the Bible says about Him, guess what will happen? The misunderstandings will disappear. Those wrong religious beliefs that we all carry. You know, we're all infected with some messed up beliefs. All right? Amen? I know y'all don't think so, but we are. Every one of us have got some... We're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, I didn't, I, that wasn't me. <laughs> you, you missed it on that one. But those things disappear when we start to, 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 to listen to the Holy Spirit. The fear that's caused by uncertainty and mystery disappears. And what happens is truth begins to show up and it sets people free. Truth be- provides a foundation on which a building of a unified body can be built. If we have the truth, folks, we can build high and we can build wide. But if we don't have the foundation of the truth, the foundation won't hold our building. I want you to listen to me this morning. You are important. Every one of you are important. I mean every one of you. If you're visiting today, you're important. God brought you here. Okay? He brought you here because we need you. I'm talking to to people that are part of this church and people that are not a part of this church. We need you. You're not here, listen to me, to hide. Okay? Besides, there are not that many of us you can't really hide. Okay? You're not here to coast. Okay? This is, there are none of you at a place in your life where you've reached the age where you need to kick it out of gear and coast on into heaven. Okay? You have things that God has given you that we need. Maybe you're here and you're young. You say, well, you know what? I got so many things going on. You know what? You don't have too much going on to be involved in a body of believers that's unified. You're here because I need you. And you're here because you need me. We need each other. Okay? We need each other. Together, we can become the overcoming, devil stomping, I got to choose my words carefully here, miracle working body of Christ, okay? If we're willing to step into this unified in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we're willing to allow Him to do in us and through us what He wants to do. If we will crucify our wants, okay? We'll nail them to the cross. If we'll crucify our selfishness, if we'll crucify those wounds that all of us carry that make us respond when we get pushed a little bit or poked a little bit like we respond, if we'll we'll, we'll crucify those worries and we'll take hold of the Holy Spirit's hand, 
and the hand of that brother and that sister sitting next to us on our right and our left. You know what God will do? He will build a church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against. Okay? But if we're not unified, we couldn't kick the door of a tent in. The only way we can walk as a church that does the works of Jesus and even the greater ones He promised in John 14 is if we are unified. Folks, it won't be what we talk about that determines this though. It will be how we walk. What we do. What we choose to do today with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I know sometimes some of y'all are uncomfortable with some things preachers ask you to do. But I'm going, to ask, I'm going to ask you to stand up first of all. And it's going to mean that a couple of you probably are going to have, three of you maybe going to have to step forward, step back, something like that. But I'm going to ask you to lock arms with the person standing next to you on your right and on your left. Okay? I know, I'm pretty sure I'm not comfortable doing this. Well, guess what? I'm not either, but I'm doing it. Now, I want you to look around. We're connected, okay? There, there's no, none of us an island. We're connected. We draw straight. When, when I can't walk, these two right here, they're at least going to drag me, okay? <laughs> I, love, I love this part of, of the soldiers that, that guard our country. They have a mindset that they leave no man behind, no woman behind. I love that. I wish the church would, 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 would do that. But when we lock arms, folks, guess what? We're stronger. This is what unity looks like. When I'm out here by myself, I got nobody to protect me. I got nothing to fight the dogs off, okay? You ever seen a lion? Well, I know most of you haven't seen one in, I mean, unless you've been to the zoo, but have you ever noticed on, on uh, I mean, what do they call it, Animal Planet, uh, the Wide World of Disney, whatever, that old lion lays out there in the bush and he roars. He sins, he roars. And what happens is most animals are herd animals. They gather together, but there's always a stupid one, okay? <laughs> now that stupid one may be sick. Or it may be lame. Now, I'm not calling anybody stupid, okay? Perish that thought. But that other one, that, that animal may be lame. It may be sick. It may be injured. It may be young and not know any better. And what happens? That thing bolts. Like it can outrun the world. And you know what Leo does? He cuts him out. And that's the end of it. Folks, that's what Scripture says the devil wants to do with us. He goes to and fro seeking somebody that he can devour. He roars to create fear and confusion. You know what? It's okay every once in a while to be afraid. It's okay every once in a while to be confused as long as you are linked to a brother and a sister and a body. Because you know what? When I want to break and run and I'm linked to a brother or a sister, they won't let me. They keep me from doing something stupid. That's why God gave us husbands and wives. That's why God gave us a church 
family. When we're by ourselves, folks, we are vulnerable. But when we are united, nothing can defeat us. The enemy can't. Satan can't defeat us. He's not strong enough. I want you to look around. This is what it looks like in the natural. Okay? I realize that, you know what? Some of you are tall. Some of you are short. Some of you are male. Some of you are female. Some of you are younger. Some of you are more younger. Okay? (laughs) We're different colors. We come from different places. And yet we're one. Folks, that's what the church looks like. That's what the Holy that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, so that He could unify us. Otherwise, the blender blades of the world sling us out into oblivion. Or we can be picked off one by one. Folks, it's time for the body of Christ to become one. This nation is where she is right now because we've allowed the blender blades to throw us out and to destroy our unity as a body. That's why we, that's why we have uh, we have the atrocities that are happening in our nation, white on white, black on black, black on white, all that kind of stuff. It, it's not because of of, of 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 that we hate each other. It's because we've believed a lie. And those blender blades have slung us out instead of drawing us together. We have got to become unified. And it's got to start here. Okay? It's got to start in this church. You say, Nelson, we're, we're not a very big church. Listen, God doesn't need a very big church. He doesn't need very many people. He just needs some folks that are on the same page who have the same goal and the same purpose as He has. And when he finds that, he moves. He works. He does things that changes the world. Let's pray. Father, this morning. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.